0: I might catch it. Yeah. I don't know who placed this here, but somebody had a card, a prayer request card, and they asked for prayers for my pop and my cat. So we're going to pray for somebody's popping cat, alright guys? You guys remember that. That's a serious prayer request to some child out there, and we'll pray for them. Well, this morning, I want to invite you to turn in your uh, copy of God's Word to Psalm chapter 80. Psalm chapter 80 um, is uh, got a little before the verses start. It's got one of those intros, one of those descriptors that a lot of the psalms has. It says, for the director of music to the tune of the lilies of the covenant. Uh, So it's one of those many hints that tells us, hey, we've got a a way, a tune, a way to sing this. And it reminds us that the psalms were were sung. Uh, It is... Of Asaph, we don't really know a whole lot about the guy Asaph, but about uh, a dozen or so of the Psalms are attributed to him. So, if you would please uh, stand at this time as we read Psalm eighty, and I'm going to point out something um, that um, before I read it, it's a little unusual. He's going to say, and we'll explain it, we'll wait to explain this till, till later on. But it says, You who lead Joseph like a flock, hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. It's a little bit interesting, it's a little bit different, because often we hear God referred to as the one who leads Israel or the one who leads Jacob. Jacob and Israel being names for the same man and being reflective of the nation of Israel. But here we see you who lead Joseph. We'll get back to that. But let's read. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might. Come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine upon us, that we may be saved. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. "'Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us, that we may be saved. "'You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. "'You cleared the ground for it. It took root and filled the land. "'The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. "'Its branches reached as far as the sea. It shoots as far as the rivers.'" Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it, and insects from the fields feed on it. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root that your right hand has planted, the sun that you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down, it is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your right hand rest on the man, let your hand rest on the man at your right hand the son of man you have raised up for yourselves then we will not turn away from you revive us and we will call on your name restore us lord god almighty make your face shine upon us that we may be saved let's pray lord god we come to you And, Father, we ask that you would help us to understand more about you, about your power, your glory, your righteousness, and your grace, and even today to understand more about us, about our brokenness, about our need for grace, about how our ability to deceive ourselves Father, how much we need to come clean with you. Father, we ask that you would take the reading and proclamation of your word and use it powerfully to build up your church and to reach out um, and touch lives. Father, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Today's message is when we get desperate, and the basic idea is understanding what we do when we get desperate, how God's people respond when we get in a mess, and how we should respond when we get in a mess, because the people in Psalm chapter 80 were in a mess. You may not recognize all the details. You may read some words, some some. Some tribal names and some situations and you say I'm not exactly sure what they're referencing there I don't know exactly who's Manasseh and what's this vine and you know you may not get all of the references but you can tell things aren't good because they're talking about drinking bowl full of tears, and that, you, you know that is not a good thing if you're drinking bowl full of tears. Okay, there's enough there that no matter how much you may be illiterate of biblical background in ancient Israelite history, you know things are bad, and you know that they are desperate. And so today, I want us to talk about what happens to us as believers when we get desperate. And we're going to do, go through quickly what we do when we get desperate. And then we're going to go back and look at each of these things, how it can be good and how it can be bad. Number one, when we get desperate, we remember God. Isn't that something? When we get desperate, we remember God. We get to go in through our life and we got our plans, we got our habits, we got our routines and they may include some God stuff. They may include, you know, some a devotional or a church attendance or whatever, but it's all very regimented. It's all very compartmentalized. We say a prayer at a meal. We have a maybe a nightly devotion. We have a worship attendance, and we've got these places where we've regimented, and and as spiritual or religious or Christian people, however we want to define ourselves, we, we have some God stuff in there, but a lot of times we're trucking along, we're going along, and, and life is really, if we're on it's about us and our life includes some God's stuff but it's about us and we're thinking about us my career my relationships my family my children my reputation my 401k my 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 me 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 and then all of a sudden we realize whoa i'm in this situation i'm in this quandary i'm in this mess and i can do nothing absolutely nothing to get out of it i mean and and a lot of times by this we get to this point where we remember god we've already tried to get out of it okay a lot of times when that mess first comes on the scene we've done all we can we've called in all of our favors All of those things that people owe us. All of our friendships and our friends of our friends. And we've tried to fix it any way we can. And we get to that point where we can't fix it anymore. And we get to that point we can't ignore it anymore. And then, oh yes, God, you can save me. And let me tell you, these folks, they were at that point. They remembered. I don't know if you caught the repetition and the Bible uses repetition a lot um, to reinforce things. You know what? That's just not, that's in life. How many of our parents repeated things? If I tell you one more time, you know we have all heard repetition, and it's because pounding it in. And these people were using repetition with God. They were praying, and they wanted to make sure that God heard them. And it's often in technical terms, whether in literature or music, called a refrain, if you say the same thing over and over. And if you, if you have your Bible in front of you, you can look back, and in verse 3, It says, restore us, O God, make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. You go down to verse 7, restore us, God Almighty, make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. Verse 19, restore us, Lord God Almighty, make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. Like they are making sure, God, we're saying some other stuff. But don't forget the main point of this prayer, God, is that we are messed up. And we need you Desperately. God, what is restore us? You know, that that sounds almost like an old home being brought back together. It's kind of a grand thing, but basically they're saying, fix me, God. Fix us, God. Get us out of this mess, God. Make your face shine upon us. In other words, God, be happy with us again. <laughs> I know you were happy with me once. I, I know you, I remember a time of blessing when things were good. And, and God, I want to go back to this time. And, and, and then he says, that we may be saved. In other words, God, I, can't, I know I can't save myself. And, but God, if you're just happy with me again, then we can be saved. Then things will be okay. God, I want to be fixed God, please, make your face shine upon us. Please, I want this stuff to be good between us again, so God, I can be saved from this terrible thing that I'm going through. So when we get desperate as Christians, we remember God. Number two, we ask what went wrong. We remember God, and then we say, "Oh God, what happened? What? How did this happen? God, what in the world? What could, how, how did we end up here, God? Everything was going good. And God, I believe in you and I trust in you. And, and yet, look at my life. God, I mean, I, I don't understand what's going on here. And, and they're saying this kind of stuff. God, how long is your anger going to smolder against us? You know, that's a, that's a word there. We think of Smolder as some guy trying to, you know, put this look on to impress the ladies. This ain't that kind of Smolder. This is an anger Smolder. This is, this is a Smolder of, there, there's been, he's been, they've been making God mad for a long time. And they've been rebelling and rebelling and rebelling and rebelling. And they're like, what did we do, God, to make you so angry with us? I, I don't understand. You're touchy, aren't you? You know? And, and, and it's, you know, they're just kind of, God, we're, they're, they're talking about all their problems, but it's interesting. They're just, they're asking what's gone wrong, but I don't know. Are they looking for an honest answer? And they're, they're saying, everything is so bad, and they go on and on and on. And God, where is this? What went wrong? What went wrong? And they even go back to the thing of, God, you know. You know you were the one that made us. God, you loved us once. And this is kind of where the whole vine thing, if you were wondering what's that whole vine thing back in Israel, back in Egypt, it says you made a vine. Well, in the Old Testament, vine was a, a major symbol for Israel. Uh, the vine was a symbol. And... Um, that, that gives some folks who don't like the vine and the fruit of the vine, that can give them some trouble. But the vine was a major symbol uh, of Israel. And he says, hey, you raised up, you took a vine out of Egypt. That is, hey, remember the exodus? Remember the plagues? You rescued us from, from Egypt and you brought us out and you brought us to the promised land. And then it says, you cleared the ground for it, and you took root, and it filled the land, and mountains were covered. It And it's talking about how God blessed them as a nation, and they grew, and they spread, and they multiplied. And eventually, they had a great kingdom during the days of David and Solomon. And they remind God, don't forget God. I mean, God, you and, and, and us, things were great with us. Things were awesome. Remember, we had some good times together. Kind of sounds like a, an ex trying to work their way back in, right? It's kind of, a, kind of an interesting situation here. And, and then they're like, look at us now. You've broken down the walls of our vineyard. That is, there's nothing to protect anybody from coming along and picking our grapes. And the wild animals are coming and they're eating them up and, and there's nothing now. They stampede and they eat them and n- nothing's good. The insects, everything... And I says, "Come on, God. We had something good. Let's bring it back." So we get desperate. We remember God. we ask what went wrong, and then, of course, the kicker is, we promise to do better, or we swear to do better. Now in my house, I couldn't swear to do better. My mother said, "We don't swear." The Bible says, do not swear. So I'd get in big trouble if I ever, are you going to do something? I swear. Don't you say you swear. So I had to say, I promise. I promise. I promise. I promise. I'll do better. But some of us might even say, I swear I do better. How often have we done that with our parents, with bosses, with other accountability figures, and even with God? God, I know. Okay, God. All right. I remembered you're there, and I, I've kind of been kind of pretending like maybe some of this was your fault. But, but maybe a little bit of it was my fault. I'll go ahead and admit it, God. A part of this was me, okay? Some of this was me. And I promise if you fix this, God, if you will just take me out of this situation, I will never, ever, ever, ever do it again. And I'm going to do so much better and you know, you think, I don't, doesn't that sound completely ridiculous when it's not you? When it's not you, when it's somebody else and they're swearing up and down, you're like, oh, yeah, right, you're not going to do that again. But when it's me, when it's us, oh, we mean it. I will never, ever, ever do that again. And that's what they said. Listen. In verse 18, after he's talked about all the stuff about restoring and raising up, they said, then we will not turn away from you. In other words, that's it. We are forever walking on the right path, and we are forever doing what we ought to do. And it's so interesting that these words, which are over 2,500 years old, so far removed in history and in culture and everything else from our experience today don't they line up exactly with the the experiences we have today that these same exact experiences when things get rough and desperate for us oh yeah there's god i've tried everything else there's god what happened god did you forget about me I forgot about you, but we won't talk about that. But did you forget about me over here? And then we promise, promise, promise. God, just get me out of this. You know, there is some there can be some positive things come out of these in the right way. If if we realize, hey, I forgot God and I need to do something different. And admit that I forgot God. And I need to make some changes in my life. Not just a promise I'm going to do better. You know, like the abusive spouse who says, oh, come back to me. Don't leave leave me. Don't go to the law. Don't do blah, 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 blah. And I'll be better for a little while until you calm down. Then I'll go right back to it. Okay. So we're not going to be abusive toward God in our relationship with him. But if we really make change... And say, God, I really have wronged you. I really have ignored you. I really have disregarded you and your holy presence in my life. And I need to put some permanent things in change. I need to restructure my life to where instead of you just being a little part of my life here and there. And me compartmentalizing you and making you a little addition to my life. God, I'm going to make you the focus and the center of my life. Then remembering God can be a great thing. If we say, I am putting things into place in my life, I am asking God to help me, and I'm making a plan, and by his grace, I'm going to try to follow that plan so that I don't forget him again. But if we just remember him for a moment, and when he fixes us, and when it's all better, and he's rescued us, we forget him again. It doesn't work. What about asking what went wrong? Well, again, we saw where that's a pretty awful thing if we start pointing fingers at God. If we start talking about, God, my life's miserable, and I know you're in control, so God, what did you do? Why are you handling it this way? God, why aren't things good like they used to be? If we start questioning in that way, in that we are questioning God and his character, God, how can you behave this way? God, you're not doing right then our questioning and seeking for answers is completely wrong when we begin to question God's character and we begin to shift blame on him because that's classic, right? Again, isn't that classic abuser behavior? Behavior, You know, we don't want to admit, we'd never like to think of that, of ourselves as abusers, but that, that's that redirection that says, I'm going to pretend that there's nothing wrong with me by shifting everything on to you. And we do that with God. God, I've been a Christian all these years. God, I've tithed. God, I've gone to church. How in the world? You know, and and you think, do people really do that? Let me tell you, every day. I can't tell you the number of people who have come to me. Pastor Tim, I have been a Christian, and I've done this, this, and this, and now I can't believe that God did this to me. And I'm thinking, I don't know every detail of your life where I can judge you, but are you saying that you would really sit down in front of God and you would really say, God, you've done me wrong? And that, I mean, do you, do you really want to get on a balance of the justice scales with God Almighty? Do you really feel, I just don't know that that's a game you want to play. I don't think you would win in that court. But if we are asking questions about ourselves, then it's right to ask what went wrong. If we're getting gut-level honest, the kind of honest that we wouldn't be with anybody else, if we would get brutally honest and say, what did I do? Where have I strayed? Where have I been unfaithful to you, Lord? Where have I taken my own selfish desires? Then questioning what went wrong is a great thing. Then finally, promising to do better. Wow. That's a big one. Promising to do better. I think I've probably mentioned before, I used to know a man, and I say I used to because uh, he's, he's passed on quite a, quite a number of years ago. But I knew a man who, who told me about a, a time in, uh, in the war. And um, one of those, if you want to call it foxhole situations basically said, God, you get me through this, I'm yours. You get me through this, I'm yours. And God rescued him. It's a fascinating story if I was to tell it to you. God rescued him. And many years later, as he was telling me that story, he would openly admit, I didn't keep up my end of the bargain. I didn't do all the things I promised God I would do. And I sadly have to admit to you, my inner judgmentalism went crazy. I thought, ooh, you so bad. Oh, boy, you're going to get it one day when you stand at that judgment seat. God is going to get you. And then I realized I've never been in a foxhole defending my country. But I've promised and swore and Everything in my heart up and down over much lesser things when my life wasn't at stake. Oh, I'll do better, God. And I realized I had no room to judge that man at all. How many times have we said we'll do better not because we really want to get right with God, but we want to enjoy happiness and carefree life, and we want to avoid the punishment that's coming our way. We want to avoid the consequences of our own behavior. We have little regard for what's breaking God's heart in our, in our rebellion against him. We're just saying, God, I don't want it to happen. We see it coming, and we cry out. I remember, I remember as a child, My, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help but laugh, My dad called out my brother one day, and he stopped the paddle about this far. And Rob, oh, you know, he was anticipating, right? Before that blow had even met, he stopped it right there. And then Rob turns around, oh, you know, he knew he'd put on the act a little bit too much. And, you know, we're kind of like that. We, we, We wail, we call out, oh, no, God. We we don't want it. We don't want that blow to fall. We don't want that punishment. I'll never do it again. I'll never disobey. But what do we Is that something we say just to get out of the timeout? The grown-up timeout in our life, whatever that entails? Or have we really said God Once again, I've fundamentally failed you. In my relationship with you, I've done wrong. And let's just be honest. If we treated our romantic relationships, our friendships, and and our coworkers the way we treat God, most of all all of us would not have a single good, healthy relationship. The way that we... I'll get back to you, God. God. Um, When I need you, I'll be there for you, God. If we treated people that way, we wouldn't have any relationships. People would dodge us when they saw us coming. And we need to get to that point where we understand, where we are genuine in our faith and say, God, God, I want to be here for you. I'm going to close up with a thought about kind of the bigger and larger meaning of this psalm remember i said that it talks about joseph you who lead joseph like a flock instead of who leads jacob well joseph he had two sons he had benjamin i mean he had ephraim and manasseh and they were representative of the northern tribes. When the nation of Israel split, the southern section was two tribes, the larger of which was Judah, and that, that uh, southern section was known as Judah. And the northern section, northern half of the kingdom, kept the name of Israel. And it was led by these tribes, Ephraim, Manasseh, they, they were known by that, and So this psalm is about that northern kingdom. And if you know anything about Bible history, you know that the northern kingdom faced its judgment before the southern kingdom, about 150 years before. And just like the prophets would prophesy toward the southern kingdom, they were prophesying toward the northern kingdom get right with God, get right with God, get right with God. And they never would. Oh, they would pretend to. When things went bad, they'd call out to God, oh, God, help us, remember us, shine on us, love us. And the day finally came in which their nation, the northern kingdom, was pretty much obliterated. The people were taken, they were exiled, And they were forced to integrate with the peoples of other nations. And so years and years later, uh, they would be those uh, people that in the New Testament would be referred to as Samaritans. Uh, They were hated by the Jews who thought of themselves as pure. And they thought of the Samaritans as mixed, both in race and religion. And so they could not stand them. They looked down upon them. So how are we to take this? We certainly should take it as a warning. The Bible tells us, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth that will he also reap. That is, our life choices and decisions matter. There are consequences for what we do. And just because we say, oh God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Consequences for our sin do not simply go, to, go away. If a Christian commits a crime, they go to jail, just like anybody else. Our lives and our behaviors matter. And the consequences for that northern nation of Israel, that northern half of the kingdom, were very real and very harsh consequences indeed. That they would be taken, that they would be 150 years before Judah, and that they would never quite be restored to be just like they were before. But here's where we can get hope. God did not abandon those people. He was not done with them. Although their southern brothers and sisters looked at them with disdain and thought that they were forever cut off from any contact with God, that they were impure people, that they were not pure as they were in the south, forgetting that they too had been brought into judgment and exiled themselves and that they too were in rebellion, they judged those Samaritan people. And yet, when God did shine his light upon Israel, both north and south and even upon the world, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bring the light of hope into the world, his son, Jesus, would be born and would grow and enter into ministry and would one day take those very despised and hated Samaritans, those whose ancestors had rebelled and rebelled and rebelled and had ultimately been judged as a nation. And he would one day sit down at a well, and there we would see the first female evangelist as the woman at the well in Samaria sat down and began talking with Jesus. And as he led her to Christ, she would go run back to her village and say, come see a man who told me all things I have ever done. And she would lead her village to Christ, bringing them back to him. And she becomes this major figure in scriptures of one who spreads the gospel of Jesus Christ in a Samaritan village, in a place that his disciples as Jews thought, why are we even stopping and why are you even talking to this woman? And even greater than that, Jesus would make a Samaritan the hero of one of his greatest and most well-known parables of all time so that even today, those who know nothing about Jesus or Christianity have heard the words, a good Samaritan. What we do matters. And I encourage you... That when you get on those dark times and you get desperate and you begin asking questions and you be going, begin going to God and desperately asking for help, none of those things are wrong, but think about how you're doing it. Make sure you put away in your mind, in your life, you put some measures in place where, God, I'm not, I'm gonna do my best by your grace to not forget you again. And God, I'm going to ask what I did wrong, not what you did wrong, because I know you didn't do wrong. And God, I don't want to get back in that pattern of abusing your grace. God, help me to live a life that's faithful. But even when you've messed up, and even when you are so angry and frustrated at yourself, like I have been at times when I find myself falling into a sin, that I thought, God... I've done this again. And maybe I even I've gone through some pretty tough consequences in my life because of that sin. Don't ever think that you're beyond God's hope and his grace. Because the Samaritans were not. And neither are you. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you and we thank you so much for that light. That hope, that grace that shines on us. Lord, help us to put our eyes, to fix our eyes on you. Father, help us now as this next song is sung and played, just to reflect on where we are with you. In our relationship, Father, have we been faithful? Not just in a technical sense, but have we truly cherished you? Have we truly loved you? Father, have we truly given you our all? Help us to have a heart that loves you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love you with everything we have, God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.